Praise. Number 232. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Number 262, more precious than silver. Number 145, we sing Alleluia.
Let us turn to our opening hymn, Come Christians Join to Sing, number 158 in your purple hymnal.
morning, everyone, and welcome to Olivet Church of Robinsdale, Minnesota. And also, we want to welcome our online audience that listens to us from YouTube, BitChute, GitTube, wherever you're at in the world, and also our podcast. We want to say welcome. Welcome online congregation as well as CCX. And so in your inserts on the board tents, if you would like this insert, we can get you a copy at all of it, umc1 at protonmail.com. So again, we'd like to welcome our in-person and online congregations wherever you guys are gathering. You guys are the backbone of this church. Thank you. Good morning. It is a wonderful morning, isn't it? We had a wonderful Bible study and bless uh, Pastor Iron. I do want to mention that circulating cards, I think they may have got bogged down. We want to make sure that the card that goes to Dr. Mike, because Dr. Mike is going to take to Dr. Joel. And would you like to come and share a little bit about your brother and the ordeal that he's going through? You feel comfortable? All the way down to Houston, Texas, a specialist from Rochester, well-trained, and is going to take care of all those problems. And we could go into the minute detail of the exact situation, but you know, God is a master physician of all, and he understands, and we want to make sure that the family, the Thompson family, uh, Mike's family, Joel's family, is really surrounded by their, our love and our prayers and our, our concerns. So we want to make sure before you leave that you get that card and make sure it gets to the correct address and that. And there's another card that's circulating. I can't tell you how much, when I speak to these families, how much they appreciate the names in the card. They get a number of cards, but sometimes people even get cards that don't have names in. And what does that say? That says, well, people send off a card with even without putting their names in. And, you know, I think we've all been kind of guilty about rushing through things and not putting down our names and our prayers and... And people need to know that they're surrounded by the spirituality and, and the commitment of people in prayer. You are certainly welcome. And let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for your spirit that's here. And we, we know that there's many deceiving spirits that are trying to get us involved in the logistics and the mechanics of, of worship. But Lord, the, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, life is present here and we just thank you jesus that that in the creation you took chaos and and confusion and restored order lord to help us to not be distracted by elements of movement and elements of, of other thoughts but help us to be centered and focused on your word today we thank you for the neighborhood family that experience the death and we thank you for the resurrection service that was held at the progressive church we thank you father has spoken to the children that they are resolving a number of issues and although permanent closure is always difficult we 
We thank you, Father, for the closeness of your spirit. We pray for Joel and his wife and his family and surrounded by extended family. And we thank you for the leadership in, he provides in his church. And, and Lord, as he apart from family and distance of, we thank you, Lord, that there's no distance to God's prayers and the prayers of God's people. We thank you, Lord, for your continual hand of comfort and care upon the Krauss family, Andrew's family, family's father by way of television and radio and other means of communication that was shared. We thank you, that, Father, that we can uplift and undergird those families. And Father, as you are faithful to us in our attempts to be faithful back to you, we ask that you would bless the scripture that you provided for us today, that all of us are going through that, that shadow. It's, it's basically a shadow. It's a, just a millisecond of passage from this life to the next. As we hear the joy outside our, our windows and the, the home runs and the, the strikeouts and we realize, Lord, in each little nook and crevice of our lives, there are people getting up to bat, people striking out, people hitting home runs, families of joy and celebration and families of sorrow. Provide us with your peace and your direction now as we turn to your holy word. Second Samuel it describes a character of a profile of a, a man of God, David, who had some 500 wives and a thousand concubines and even in the midst of all of his wealth and all of his pleasures, he sought pleasure with Uriah's wife and as a result brought tremendous condemnation upon not only himself but to his household. Bless the scripture, Lord, that teaches us some of the ramifications of death and the valleys that we all go through. David wrote that Psalm 23, that though I walk through the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil and help us, Father, to ground our faith in, in our trust in thee, O Lord. Bless the scripture now that you've called us to read and to study. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture for this morning is taken from not Samuel 1, but Samuel 2, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses following, and it reminds us of the, the grief work that was going on in the family here. Now from 2 Samuel, verses 15 and following 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 and following. Reading now from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 and following. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became very ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. 
David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him, urging him to rise from the ground. But David would not, for, for he did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell David that the child was dead, for they said, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we tell him the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, he perceived that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is. He is dead. And then David rose from the ground, washed himself, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord, and what did he do? He worshiped. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to David, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and you wept for the child when it was alive, but when the child died, you rose and you ate food. David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept, for I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and the child may live. But now, he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mike. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, I was puzzled at first. I couldn't figure out God would strike a child dead. It didn't make sense to me. But then I thought, oh, it was because of his father's sin. And when I thought about it, it's not uncommon for a child to suffer from the sins of their parents. I thought about Alcoholics and drug addicts, their child, children definitely suffer from, from their sin. So it's nothing unusual. But the, the child died. Now he's much better off. He's at the feet of Jesus and able to get hugged by Father God. Like He's in a much better place. The child's death should not have been a big surprise to David because Nathan had told him that his child would die because of his sin in uh, 12, chapter 12, verse 14. And he told him what the results of his sin would be, a dead child. 
although being ill for, for days, the child ultimately bended from the sin. He did die. But where did he go? Heaven. Realizing that the fasting and prayer that David did were not tools to change the mind of God. They were giving God due reference and demonstrating his faith. It was a spiritual confidence and the reason when we go through these trials, we lean on God automatically almost. And that strengthens our faith, whether we know it or not. It's actually good for us towards God's to go through those problems and tragedies at times. David's servants were worried about breaking the news of his child's death to David. But he heard them murmuring to each other and he assumed the worst and he was right. His response was perfect to the bad news the servants gave him. He changed his clothes and went down and worshiped, praised God. After that, he was served dinner by his servants. His servants questioned his admirable behavior because he should have been mourning the loss of him, of his son. But David sensed their behavior and said that he had fasted and prayed while the child was alive. And he didn't do so to bring the child back, but he said, I will go back to the child. How wise. He knew that his prayers and his worship of God would not bring his dead son back. But he knew that eventually he would share the space with his son in, in the presence of God in heaven. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. He had the confidence that God had prepared the afterlife for those invited there through faith. Also, you may find insurance that beloved children are saved through the faith of their parents in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. Now we come across the name of David's wife, Bathsheba. Each time in this book, she was known as the wife of Uriah. Now we know it's Bathsheba. The couple named the resulting son that they had, Solomon, but Nathan had put the word up to them that the name should have been Jedediah, which literally means love the Lord. Thank you. Some real tremendous challenges in this portion of scripture. And it's a rewarding scripture that challenges us in our Christian faith. And especially in Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, it says, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? How can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, if you're dearest, and we've all probably experienced a tremendous amount of death in, in our, our family's lives, parents, brothers and sisters, neighbors and spouses, if, if your dearest should die, how would you take it? Kind of reflect upon the past of experience the death of a loved one. Would you lose your faith? Would you lose your faith in Christ? Would you become bitter? 
would you become inconsolable? In, in all probability, you would mourn, you would grieve. That's natural, and at a time of the departure of, of a loved one. Where there is love, there will be sorrow. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus, his friend. But there's a difference between Christian and non-Christian mourning. St. Paul points this out when he says, but we would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope, who, who understands, who can tell you how to sorrow over much and how to overcome your grief. We have many, I was a certified grief counselor for Itasca and Kuchichin counselings, used much of the training and grief counseling for Northland Mental Health. It, it must be one who has had the experience of bereavement. Anyone else would not particularly understand you want someone to speak out of their own personal experience. You want someone to speak from their experience and, and how they overcame grief. David was such a, such a person. Several times David experienced the loss of loved ones. Several times David experienced this loss. Few men ever loved each other as much as David had loved Jonathan, his trusted friend, son of Saul. And when death separated them, David experienced real remorse. And when David's rebellious son, Absalom, was killed, he, he cried, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, why that I would have died for thee, then for thee, Osa, absolute death. And the above text of scripture comes from the account of David's losing his infant son. We read it today. Because of his acquaintances with grief, David could write in the 23rd Psalm, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Early on in my ministry, I'd often take my, my children to funeral services. And I remember traveling my way up to Big Falls, from Deer River to Big Falls. It was, it was an hour trip between the two churches. And as I recall preparing for Reuben Altermath's funeral, I believe it was Joy that said, Dad, you know about the 23rd Psalm? I said, Joy, what, what do you mean? Although we go through that shadow, we walk through that valley in the shadow of death. Can you explain that to me? And I, I told Joy, it just kind of snapped into my mind that at the same time she asked that question, a big semi passed us. And I said, Joy, Currently, we're in the shadow of that semi. 
Would you rather be run over by the shadow of that semi? Or would you rather be run over by the semi itself? And I believe that's partially what David is referring to. We, you and I, experience many shadows in life. But it's not as bad when Christ is with us and the real thing may occur. In these words, David accepted the death of his child as a, a reality. And while the child lingered between life and death, David did all he could. All he could for that child. And he fasted, he, he dressed in sackcloth. There's one particular Sunday in my ministry I, I challenged my congregation to dress in sackcloth and come to church. Challenge them to pray for a specific term, an item. It says that David fasted, he dressed in sackcloth, and he prayed earnestly for the child's recovery. He shut himself off from the world. He, he would not listen to anyone's words of encouragement. He refused to eat, and then the child died, and David's servants were afraid to tell their master David about this. They reasoned that if he would not listen to us while the child lived, what would he do when he learns the child died? He is liable to put an end to himself. On many occasions, as I served in the military as a chaplain, a colonel in the Air Force, under deployments, loved ones would pass away, and their deployed loved ones were not able to attend their services. So we tried to reconstruct a, a service of closure. David noticed that they're whispering and suspected what happened, and David went to them, and David asked, is a child, is a child dead? How did David take the sad news? We find that he did not collapse in a fit of emotion. He did not blame God. He did not cry out in, in bitterness. He did not question God's right to take the child. He, he did not pitifully fall on his child's body and beg, please, please come back to me. Many occasions, I've noticed that the strong will oftentimes break down at the side of the graveside. They want to accompany the casket in the ground in the commitment service. And oftentimes we've had to restrain those ones that seem to be so strong and uplifting those survivors. We find that David's, David said, please, please, come back to me. Don't leave me. And with, with his tearless eyes, he calmly accepted death as an accomplished act and realized that he could not go to be with his loved ones until his time on earth was finished. And his loved ones could not return to him, but he would meet them someday. David did his grieving before the child died and not afterward. This is very sensible. 
To overcome grief when your dearest dies, you too must learn to accept the fact of death. Yet many do not. A childless couple lived together over 50 years, and they were very close to each other. A couple that I administered to through two of their children's deaths. It's a long story, but those children were exhumed and it was discovered that they did not die natural deaths. Their deaths were, were a cause of their parents. When the wife died, the husband refused to change a single item in the house. Though feeble, they refused to live with relatives. All the furnishings were kept in a very the very place that the wife had put them in the dining room through the years was always set with plates turned down between meals. He kept the dining table set for two places with two chairs at the table and because he refused to accept her death. As a fact, he lived out the balance of his life in a state of increasing grief. Some refuse to accept death as a fact by avoiding anything associated with the loved one. There are families which refuse to have dinner in the home because it would remain and remind them that the loved one is not with them. Others actually move out of their homes or go to other cities to get away from the fact of death. There are those who will never again enter the room once used by the departed. And that causes the bereaved to live in dread of the places once frequented by the lost loved one. Each place associated with the dearest keeps the wound, the wound of grief open and draining. It is not allowed to heal. Death is normal. How can you learn to accept death as a fact? One way is to remember that death is a normal and a natural occurrence of life. Every day newspapers carry numerous obituaries, notices. And I was always struck by people that would turn immediately to the obituary section. One of those that turn immediately to my hometown obituary section. Death is a natural, as at birth you take death for granted as you should, you are going to die someday, maybe sooner than you think. Your loved one is going to die someday, perhaps unexpectedly. You need to be prepared. Last week, I did a couple funeral services in the Adina Chapel, and either one of the individuals just a few days before had ever imagined death. You need to be prepared that God has a prepared place for prepared people always for death to strike when it comes, you then will not be surprised. You will accept it as an unavoidable phenomenon of life. Death can be accepted as a fact when you realize the meaning of death. If death means extinction, you have a right to mourn. You have a right to mourn without end. But death for a Christian does not mean extinction, only separation for a while. You are separated from your loved ones. 
Father God, we thank you this morning that we are the living among the dead. Should you tarry your coming, your second coming, all of us shall experience. As David did and said, but now my loved one is dead. And these words, David accepted the death of his child as a reality. While the child lingered between life and death, David did all he could for the child. He fasted, he dressed in sackcloth, and he prayed earnestly for the child's recovery. He shut himself off from the world. He, he would not listen to anyone's words of encouragement. He refused to eat. And then the child died, and David's servants were afraid to tell their master. They reasoned that if he would not listen to us while the child lived, what will he do when he learns the child died? He is liable to put an end to himself. David noticed their whisperings and suspected what happened, and he went to them and he asked, is the child dead? And how did David take the sad news? David did not collapse in a fit of emotion. He did not cry out in bitterness. He did not blame God. He did not question God's right to receive the child. He did not pitifully fall in his child's body and beg, please, please come back to me. Don't leave me. And with tearless eyes, he calmly accepted death as an accomplished fact. David knew that God prepared a place for prepared people, a paradise, not for extinction, not for annihilation, not for an end, but a new beginning. An exit from this life meant an entrance into a fact where there's no more sin, no more sickness, no more goodbyes or sea ladies. David did his grieving before the child died and not afterward. Help us, O oh Lord, to, do the, to learn this process from David about preparation. And Lord, teach us always to pray by saying and repeating together, dear Jesus, we thank you, O oh Lord, you are the resurrection and the life. They who believe in me, trust in and hear to, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. We listen to the cheers of the children out in our park and the dogs barking. We end up going onward and upward. Would you join me in the offertory prayer printed in your bulletins, please? Almighty God, we pray that these offerings may be used for the glory of your name to pray for action of the gospel, the confirmation of your church, and the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us turn as we pass the offering plate. Our offertory hymn is Savior Like a. Shepherd, lead us purple hymnals. Number 381, please. Mm -hmm. 
We pray that the God of grace and peace and love and mercy would go forth with us in our goings and our comings, in our trials and our tribulations. And the great unknown has made it possible for us to have that assurance and that trust as we praise the Lord and sing hallelujah, as we give glory to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us close with Shalom to You, number 666.
Go in peace and serve the Lord.